2: You're very welcome along to the big red bench this Sunday. Coming up, we have a roundup of the day's action in the Premier League. It's currently 1-0 to Tottenham, away to Nottingham Forest, with 72 minutes gone. We uh, look at the Formula One action from today. Also, we'll delve into the results of the final group games in the Co-op Superstores Senior Hurling Championships. The champions Middleton are out. We hear from Cork and Ireland's rising star in athletic stara McAllenny, who's fresh back from the Europeans in Munich. Jerry McCarthy has been speaking. Speaking to Munster and Ireland International Maevo Goliary, and we have part two of our NFL season preview with Collin Cronin. That's all coming up before seven. Aiden Lee here with you until 7 o'clock on the big red bench on Cork's Red FM. What a massive weekend of sports, so much to get through. We're going to start off first of all by uh, doing the rounds of the Premier League and uh, we will begin with the one all draw, uh, the uh, first leg of the maybe not so super Sunday on Sky Sports today. It finished up one all between Wolves and Newcastle. Adam Jury was at Molyneux
3: the 90th minute, Alan St Maxman's strike helped Newcastle rescue a 1-0 draw with Wolves in an end-to-end contest. Wolves went in front on 38 with a 25-yard Reuven Neves thunderbolt, and it may have been two when Jimenez saw a second-half goal ruled out by VAR for a foul. Then in the 90th minute, St Maxman found the back of the net with a beautiful volley on the edge of the box to secure a dramatic equaliser and deny Wolves their first league win of the season. Full-time at Molyneux, it finished Wolves 1, Newcastle 1. Yeah, Newcastle remaining
2: unbeaten now in the Premier League um, after that draw, a uh, stunning strike from uh, Alan saint Maximan, kind of capitalising on that defensive error. The Newcastle manager Eddie Howe tells Sky Sports News it was reward for an improved second half performance.
1: That was unlike us, we didn't you know, have our normal rhythm. But yeah, we're delighted with the never say die attitude and we, you know, we were never beaten today, right to the end and full credit to the players for that.
2: West Ham have been beaten by Aston... Oh, West Ham beat Aston Villa 1-0 in their Premier League game, um, more like, uh, 1-0, uh, Stephen Gerrard under serious, serious pressure now. Pablo Fornell's got the strike for West Ham, um, it's their, It's West Ham's first points of the season uh, David Moyes tells Sky Sports News there wasn't much between the two sides you know, we've scored with deflection but uh, we played much better in the second half which uh, helped and uh,
0: we got the three points look any any win away from home in the Premier League if you're coming to any of the teams at the moment
2: it's, it's a really good result for us Celtic uh, are the uh, and actually I believe Celtic have won 9-0 today twice the Celtic women's have also won 9 nil today and Celtic won 9 nil earlier they beat Dundee in the Scottish Premiership hat-tricks from uh, Kyogo Furuhashi and uh, Abada uh, they, it's 5 wins from 5 now for the champions uh, boss Ange Postecoglou tells Sky Sports News: It was a great team performance. Stayed really disciplined, and focused. Um, we kind of knew that Dundee the United were going through a tough spell, and I guess for us it was important that we kind of set our stall really early and put them under pressure. And you know, in the end, um, you know, I think we just sort of wore them down. And you know, the quality of our goals were, were, were pretty good tonight. Yeah, nine nils all round. Of course, Liverpool nine, nine nil yesterday at home to Bournemouth. Um, managerial news in the Championship, which has kind of been. On, it, it's been leaning towards this for a while, and to be honest with you, I cannot understand it at all. But Alex Neil has left Sunderland to become the new manager of fellow championship side Stoke. Uh, he helped the Northeast club end their long wait to return to the second tier last season. Uh, he departs the Stadium of Light now, signing a, after signing a new contract earlier this month. Uh, he's gone on a three year deal with Stoke. Really, really strange one, I have to say. Alex Neil, good manager, a, a really good manager on the championship, I have to say, but I just can't. Really, he must be getting off. Offered and nice bit of cash, um, and Sunderland obviously getting offered uh, a lot of compensation as well because it just seems a bit—it's—it's—it's it's, it's sideways uh, at best. Um, I know Sunderland are, are new up into the championship, but you know it seems Sunderland's probably more of an exciting club to be with because they're kind of on the up, whereas Stoke have been kind of stuck in a rut really over the last couple of seasons in the championship and like to be honest with you I'd nearly see Sunderland back in the Premier League before I'd see Stoke um, so don't really understand that uh, we were talking yesterday about David Harrington and whether he is set for a move uh, myself and Rory chatting about the City game last uh, last night uh, on the show um, the Cork City keeper of course attracting interest from England um, Daniel McDonnell with the Independent is reporting that the Toffees are set to make a bid imminently um, and of course the question is then What sort of a deal, what sort of a a shape does the deal take? Does he get loaned back to City for the rest of the season? Which you'd imagine uh, Rory was suggesting that would be, you know, a bit of a deal breaker for City. Um, Which also would make sense because he's not going to go in and (laughs) he's not going to be starting in the Premier League straight away. Like, you know, he's a young guy. Um, so, uh, but obviously, one for the future definitely sees a massive ceiling. Uh, but it would make sense that if he was to go away, he would he would finish out the season with Cork City on loan. Right, turning our attention to Formula One, the Belgian Grand Prix earlier on, Max Verstappen uh, quite a remarkable comeback uh, from 14th on the grid. He uh, swept through and uh, took the victory he extends now his his, uh, driver's championship lead um, looking for back to back which is I would say fairly nailed on at this stage a lot of drivers taking penalties for changing engine parts today uh, which led to a bit of a chaotic race I think every single driver started in a different position to what they qualified today Uh, such was the chaos Um, but his Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez finished second uh, Ferrari's Carlos Sainz third um, Sainz inherited pole position and uh, Perez was P two, so um, the Ferrari just—it's not—it's not it. You know, it's not it. Uh, everyone says it's it, but it's not. Uh, it's not quick enough to to challenge with Red Bull whatsoever, and certainly not reliable enough either. And their team strategy calls are absolutely insane. They called in Charles Leclerc on the last lap to try and go for the fastest lap. He was fifth. He came out then behind Fernando Alonso, losing the place, losing far more points than what he was going to gain with the fastest lap point. Um, and somehow just about managed to get his place back and uh, didn't get anywhere near the fastest lap it's just crazy stuff I don't know what to be thinking sometimes um, but yeah uh, George Russell uh, was just outside the podium and fourth for Mercedes his teammate Lewis Hamilton went out after a first lap collision with Fernando Alonso um, and uh, for once, Hamilton held his hand up and said it was actually his own fault. I think Alonso might have called him an idiot, though, and uh, uh, there might be some fallout from that. But uh, Hamilton, to be fair to the guy, doesn't really react to stuff like that, so I don't think there'll be too much more from it. Um, in golf, he McIlroy is in a tie for second as he prepares for his final round of the Tour Championship in Atlanta. He tees off from 17 under par, ten to seven. They actually had to finish the third round earlier today. Uh, he was suspended. Uh, due to bad weather last night, Scotty Scheffler is top of the leaderboard and uh, he's leads by six shots and 23 under par. So, uh, looking like uh, Scheffler is going to tie up that Felix Cope bearing something pretty, pretty bad. Uh, moving on to GA before we get to the championships uh, some news in the Camogie Circles Cork star Ashling Thompson uh, she's facing an extended spell on the sidelines the fourth time with winner sustained a cruciate ligament injury while in action for Avondu in the championship yesterday uh, Thompson of course instrumental in the Rebels run to this year's all-in-of-the-final unfortunately losing out to Kilkenny um, let's get into the results now of a massive, massive day in the Cork Senior uh, Premier Senior Championship. We'll start off with Douglas two eighteen, Newtownshandrum one twenty six, Blackrock one twenty, Charleville one eighteen, um, Aaron Own eighteen points, Bishopstown eighteen points. Glen Rovers twenty six points in a Piershig uh, three seven, Middleton three fifteen, 2 two nineteen. Of course, the biggest upset of the day that was Middleton going out. It's unbelievable. And Sarsfields nineteen points, Saint Finbars with a statement win. Four nineteen. Um, it's two nil to Tottenham. Just before we get into to how that affects the uh, final uh, standings in the group stage, Harry Kane has doubled Spurs' lead and his own tally for the day with eighty one minutes gone at the City Ground. Um, I have the fixtures here. They were just the draw has just been made uh, for the quarterfinal stages. So it's Aaron Zone who goes through into the automatic semi final spot. Um, by A point, a single solitary point uh, on the point on the scoring difference because they finished on five points in Group B. St. Finbars also finished on five points in Group C, um, but uh, Aaron's own literally 14 point difference and Finbars with a 13 point difference. Uh, just shows you how close it was in Group A. Douglas finished top on scoring difference, uh, Newton Shandrum going through in second. Um, both on four points after the three games and as we said Milton out two points after the three games one win two losses really disappointing way to to defend your your county crown Uh, Group B as we said Aaron Zone gone straight through to the semi-finals Glen Rovers snuck in there into the second place and get a quarter-final birth four points from the three games pipping Bishopstown Um, so unlucky Bishopstown drew today with Aaron Zone and they finish just outside the uh, quarterfinal spots uh, Three points from three games St. Finbar's then Winning Group C And it's Black Rock Who go in To the quarterfinals Ahead of Sarsfields. A crushing blow For Sarsfields today With that loss um, But look I suppose They knew after the first day out That lost to Black Rock Things were going to be Really difficult And uh, Finbar's absolutely absorbed all the attention and pressure that was on them uh, today and uh, got over the line Um, as we said uh, Aaron's own straight into the semi-final so quarter final one then is who they will be facing and that is Newtown Chandram versus Glen Rovers Um, so that's going to be a cracker of a game then on the other side of the draw um it's Douglas versus the Bars and Black Rock play Imakilli, of course, the division divisional champions. Um so really fantastic championship so far and the knockout stages haven't even begun, which is the mental thing about it. Um but I think the format has been a, a massive success. Um I think everyone'll tell you that. Um but um yeah what a day and it's great as well to have all those all those games on at the same time such excitement there Twitter was mental I, I checked the scores just before the the 5 o'clock bulletin um, about quarter to 5 and I checked the scores and like it was just upsets galore I couldn't believe it Um, it was mental Um, but uh, let's move on now to the Senior A Championship I don't have the draw yet I don't know if the draw has been made yet uh, but let's get a, a look at the results from last night they all started at 7 o'clock Ride Rovers twenty-one points. Ballymartle one-thirteen is how it finished. Carrig Tughal and Ballyhaye played out an eighteen points all draw. Uh, Father O'Neill's beat Killa two-seventeen to two-thirteen, and I know Father O'Neill's have gone in as the automatic semi-final spot. That's about all I know uh, in terms of of how the the rest of the knockout stage is shaping up. Mallow one-sixteen for Moy twenty-two points. Um, Blarney 18 points, Corsi Rovers 217, uh, massive year of Corsi Rovers just coming up as, as Premier Intermediate Champions. And, uh, Newstown, 16 points, Klein 126. So let's take a look at the standings then out of group one. Fermoy and Klein go through uh, Klein by the skin of their teeth um, on scoring difference For Moy with a perfect record but they don't get the automatic semi-final spot because uh, Father O'Neill's have a superior scoring average um, they have 25, 26 points uh, difference Uh, 14 points more than uh, Fermoy did but they had a perfect record as well 6 points from the 3 games Corsi Rovers then into the quarterfinals with 4 points from the 3 games and it's Bride Rovers and Ballyhe who come out of Group 3 Bride Rovers on 5 points unbeaten Uh, 2 wins and a draw and Ballyhay with 2 draws and a win uh, getting out of the group a point ahead of Carrie tool uh, so great excitement and uh, it's it's only going to get even better once the uh ...once the the knockout stages begin. Uh, Just something to make you aware of there, I shouted out as well yesterday... ...Skibberine Rowing Club are holding a golf classic at Skibberine Golf Club on September 3rd. I'm sure there'll be plenty of stars there. Um, Of course, with the success they've had, uh, check out www.skibgolf.com... ...or the Skibberine Rowing Club's social media. Right, moving on to our first of our big interviews this evening on the Big Red Bench. I caught up with Darren McElhenney after his first ever Senior European Championships... He finished 16th in the 5,000 metre final in the end, but he ran a super race. He was as high as 6th and 7th approaching the, the final couple of laps. He told me all about the race and what is next for the Barrowman. One of Ireland's uh, rising stars in athletics joins us on the line now, and he just so happens to be a Cork man, of course, Dara McLenny. Dara, thanks for joining us on the Big Red Bench.
4: Yeah, thanks very much for having me.
2: Um, it's been a hectic summer I suppose before we, we come to the Europeans in Munich you broke John Tracy's 44 year old national record for the, the under 23 5000 metres in May uh, you took 9 seconds off it which is quite incredible
4: yeah no it's been in fairness it's been, like, it's been a brilliant year and I suppose um, you're kind of always hoping at the start of, of every season that you're going to you're going to you know kind of achieve the things that you set out to do and that you're going to have maybe a kind of special year and yeah thankfully I've, I've had that this year because you're like the last couple of years then you know have been kind of tough enough in in parts or whatever so as i say you're kind of you're chipping away hoping that then one of the seasons it kind of comes together a bit better um, and in fairness like this year has been been a bit of a dream like i kind of set out to do nearly everything that i wanted to do and more so it's been has no, it's been it's been brilliant
2: it must be mental to see your name down there with the likes of John Tracy, like we've all seen the reeling in the ears footage, like in Los Angeles, and Jimmy McGee's commentary. Like it, it's one of those moments where you must look at that and just kind of have to pinch yourself, maybe.
4: Yeah, like he's he's a legend, like you know what I mean. And uh, like I've, I've been very lucky, I suppose. So like he he basically, when he was my age or coming through under eighteen, under twenty, he he basically tore apart all the records. And and I suppose I would have always seen him then when I was coming through as kind of like stepping stones as to be a successful athlete like he was you know what I mean so I suppose from when I was under 18 you're kind of eyeing up those records and they served me a great purpose anyway to think like they kind of kept me on track or you know I think because I broke the 3000 meter under 18 one when I was that age you're kind of thinking then okay if I want to progress at, at the same level what did he then run for under 20 and then I was able to break his under 25 record and then into under 23 and to be fair when I looked at the under 23 one a couple of years ago it definitely looked like like the hardest of them because like it was thirteen twenty six for five k, which is you know it's it, like it's a fairly fairly fast time or whatever. And you're if you're kind of in that bracket, then you're you're kind of rubbing shoulders with some of the best in Europe. So I suppose I kind of I was always looking at that one, thinking that that might be the one that kind of catches me. Um, but as you said, like luckily I was I was able to break it this year, and I was I was just delighted to be able to do so. And um, I suppose now that's kind of my underage years over so I need to start looking at his senior records and you know other kind of top-class senior records um that Irish athletes have set throughout the years and then kind of try and be try and be competing with them because you know at the end of the day the way it's going like if you want to be competitive in in Europe or in the world like you need to be you need to be up there with the fastest Irish Irish men ever you know um so yeah no they've been great and like it was it was an honour as well to do it and I I met him then at the National Senior Championships and he was he was sound he gave me a few words of encouragement and stuff like that so it's, it's it is great to be kind of you know comparing yourself to lads of such stature
2: Yeah absolutely um, you broke the 3000 metre national record as well I think twice in the space of a month uh, once was at the Cork City Sports as well so that must have been special doing it in, doing it in home soil
4: Yeah 100% Doing in Cork is great because uh, like it's you know it's kind of one of those things like you kind of travel all around Europe running these races and regardless of kind of performance or like who you beat or what time you run or whatever it kind of sometimes can seem a bit not to yourself but like to others it's, it's obviously not going to get the coverage or whatever because it might have been in in Belgium or in you know, Denmark or whatever whereas to kind of do it at home and have a fairly packed out CIT kind of watching was definitely great like and obviously you're kind of like CIT like the track in CIT is where I have my earliest memories of running Anyways, you know like that's where you kind of do your West Car championships and your Car championships when you're younger and I hadn't raced there in years probably since I was about 15 or 16 so then obviously to go back and to kind of put out a good performance like I did and then win the race as well was great I suppose um, you're, I suppose you're always kind of hoping then that like there's kind of future future stars in the crowd that might get inspired or whatever do you know what I mean so no, that was that was great and then and then I was lucky as well. The like, kind of, I shaved another second off it then, or another two seconds off it, a few weeks later. Um, but no, as I say, like you know, I've had obviously that day in Cork and the five k and the national championships and stuff. But it's been it's been a dream of the season really. So
2: um, I suppose like Munich. Then first of all, the experience of a major championships going out there with all the other Irish and so many Cork athletes as well that went out there. How enjoyable an experience was that? <laughs>
4: Yeah, it was, it was, it was brilliant. Like, and I suppose it's kind of, it's one of those things that I suppose for me that something that's always kind of like inspired you or like something that you'll always have a dream of doing is like, is competing on, at the highest level in front of a big crowd. Like, you know what I mean? It's the same if you want to be a professional footballer or whatever, like you're always thinking about doing it in front of 50 or 60,000 people. So like we went down to the stadium a couple of days before the race and I kind of came out and you're looking around and it's you're almost kind of trying to pinch yourself saying like, this is going to be full in two nights time to watch, to watch the 5,000 meter final or whatever. And then, yeah, the whole thing then was a bit of a whirlwind. Like we obviously, we came out and, um, as I say, it was like 50 or 60,000 people in the stadium. It was packed out and it was so loud and stuff. And I suppose like athletics being the type of sport it is like, we probably only experienced that like a couple of times a year at most. Um, and for me, it was probably my first time really ever, kind of experiencing that because like the underage championships you might get, you get a few thousand out of it but you wouldn't have anything like that Um and it was a real, yeah it was a real kind of like pinch me moment I suppose and especially then when you're in the race amongst all the lads that you've kind of looked up to for years or like you know like the professional athletes in Europe that have been on the scene ever since I've been a runner that you're kind of looking up to and you're seeing their times and then all of a sudden you're rubbing shoulders with them on one of the biggest stages, it, it definitely was like an amazing experience from, from that perspective like
2: the run itself you started off very strong was that the strategy to kind of go as hard as you can for as long as you can
4: kind of yeah I suppose like one thing that I suppose when myself and my coach sat down and we were looking at it like these championships and stuff and like generally like races in general like unless you're kind of in the mix sometimes you feel like the whole thing has passed you by and you weren't even really part of it at all and it's like it's happened to me before where I've been part of races and people are you know, like a, a European or World Championships, or whatever, and people will say, "Geez, like that was, that was some race." And you're kind of thinking, "Well, I wasn't a spectator because I was, I was in it, but I also wasn't really in it because I was 100 meters back to track." Do you know what I mean? So, I, I kind of like I was going in probably ranked. I suppose 14th or 15th or something like that. But I said I knew I was in probably better shape than my ranking or whatever. Um, and I suppose one of the main goals was obviously it's always going to get like the, it's going to start heating up with you know, two two kilometres or a mile to go or whatever. So I just wanted to try and try and match the best of them when that happened and see see how long I could hold on for. Um and I mean yeah, like it it just got like it was so rapid from the mile onwards. Like Inge who ended up winning it ran his last mile in three fifty seven, which is obviously as outrageous as it sounds because you know, many athletes the career their their the highlight of their career would we'll be breaking the four minute mile, but let alone him doing it for the last mile of a 5k yeah. um, so like obviously the, you know the, the surge came at that stage and I think I, I positioned myself quite well and like I I ran well in the early stages of the race so I hadn't kind of wasted too much energy and stuff so I just made the decision to go with it and like there was a lot of kind of mini breaks where like the fella in front of me would go around somebody and every time that happens you've got a little decision to make do I go with him or do I stay with the lad who he's just after passing out or whatever and I think I was really aggressive in the way like I went I went with everything that I could you know and then got to the bell like with 400 meters to go and I still thought at the time I was all right like and I thought I'd have some sort of last lap left in me anyway um but yeah once we got down the back straight with I suppose about kind of two, 260 or 270 to go my legs just completely gave up on me um and like it, it ended up being one of the most painful last 250 meters ever like I I, I probably never felt a pain like it because I suppose it was such a, a long effort from home do you know what I mean like often in a race like that, it might only get hard with three laps to go and it's, it's over fairly quickly whereas this was, it was just a long, a long, a long kind of grind from from five laps out or whatever and I suppose unfortunately then I ended up losing so many places because like I was seventh at the bell and I suppose my ultimate goal at the start of the year, I obviously wanted to qualify for the championships but I was thinking if I went and I had a really good day, could I get a top eight or top ten finish? Um, and I suppose with 300 metres to go, I thought I was about to realise that dream or whatever. Um, and I suppose more so as well, it's the lads that you're around, you know, like I've been for the previous couple of laps, I'd kind of been moving up. I, I was probably in kind of 11th or 12th and I was moving up into the top seven or eight. And like you're passing out lads again, like that I've been looking up to for years and you nearly feel like you don't have a right to be passing them out at this stage of the race. You think, why are, Why am I up next to them or whatever? Um, and yeah, like obviously the way I worked out then like when you when your legs give up and you're in a race like that like you might get away with it sometimes that two or three lads might pass you but when you're racing the best in Europe they're, they fairly come for you and obviously I ended up losing about nine spots in the last 250 which was obviously disappointing and I suppose it's kind of made the race kind of hard for me to assess because ultimately all that matters is where you come and like I wasn't happy with coming 16th um, but at the same time I suppose you look at it from a different perspective and it's like I was happy with 95% of the race um, and I just didn't have the legs at the end and I suppose there's nothing you can do about that do you know what I mean like all you can do is go away and come back stronger Um and I never could have predicted how hard how how hardly I would have fallen off Um but I definitely kind of raised aggressively and put myself in the positions I wanted to be in Um so I couldn't have any regrets from that perspective um, but as I say like it was still an amazing like experience to be there and like when you're in the top seven or eight with two laps to go and you're you feel like you're really in the mix like do you know what I mean and that was definitely really exciting and it's funny like if I go back I don't even know how much will I change because I don't think I would have been happy or proud of myself in any way if I'd kind of ran the whole race in 13th or 14th and maybe picked up two or three spots on the last lap like I wanted to be there thereabouts and contending for a top six top, top five or even better or whatever do you know what I mean just give myself the opportunity um, and I suppose when you run yourself to exhaustion like there's a funny kind of satisfaction to that as well do you know what I mean like I nearly had to be peeled off the track afterwards and like I had trouble I had trouble walking for a few days nearly afterwards I was so just out of my feet like do you know what I mean and as I say like there's kind of something about that which makes you think look you've done everything you can do and do you know maybe you didn't get the result but at least you've done everything that you that you could have done and you can kind of walk away with any regrets and think oh with two laps to go I should have followed that lad but I stayed back or whatever I I made all the kind of aggressive moves I wanted to um, and then obviously just the last the last 250 kind of determines it then which is a shame I suppose but uh, like all in all like, there's still a lot of positives to take from it but and as well I suppose it leaves you with a serious hunger to come back in two years time and kind of put it right Yeah like
2: like you are saying you know trying to, to analyse it like and you know, you stayed with the best that Europe has to offer for so much of the race, like you said, 95% of it pretty much, and in that arena that you've never experienced before, um, you're a novice at, at senior level, like, you know, 21 years of age only, so like you said, there's just so much to take out of that that you can use the next time you're back in that stage.
4: Yeah, no, 100%, like that's what, like on the bigger picture, that's kind of why I suppose even like it was my first European championship, so that's kind of what you want to get from it anyway. Um, But obviously then on the day, the kind of bigger picture kind of goes out the window and you just want to get as good a result as you can. But that's why I suppose on reflection, you're kind of thinking, right, I've had that experience now. Um, I suppose now I know as well what it takes to be with them until 300 metres to go. And I suppose I have two years to basically find that last 300, which to be fair, I should be able to do. And like I've, you know, all going well, I should come back in in two years' time for the the same championships again obviously a much stronger and kind of mature and more experienced athlete which I think you know can only can only can only help and hopefully get me closer to the front of that race which is ultimately where, where I want to be like
2: Yeah you, you like you said you've had a great year overall six personal bests um, what's next now over the next couple of months?
4: Um, so I suppose the big one for me now is we have the European cross country in December um, so obviously when we won the team event in Dublin last year I um, with the under twenty threes um and I was a super individual. Um it's I suppose it's a case really going to do it's on insurance. Um I suppose it's a case really going there and just trying to yeah, just trying to I suppose it's a it's a tough one to better because there's only one one place to go and that would be yeah. obviously just trying to win it individually. And then we have definitely a very good chance of defending team title as well, which is a really exciting thing for an Irish team because obviously to win it once I suppose in the past like you might kind of we'd have teams that would have meddled, um at the European cross-country but it kind of takes like a, a special kind of three or four lads or whatever whereas to be honest like this year we actually our team is probably just as strong if not if not stronger like from the six that race in Dublin last year only one is over um, Mihal Power who came 13th so he's not going to be under 23 but we've got fairly fairly decent reinforcements coming in like the likes of uh, from Gide who came sixth at the uh, uh, in the 10k at the European, still under 23, um, and then there's a few other lads who kind of would have missed out through injury or kind of poor form last year that will no doubt be gunning for it. And like, there's a savage kind of buzz around it for a lot of under 23 lads because they're all thinking, can I can I sneak onto the team? And like, that's that's going to push everybody on. And um, I suppose, then from, a, from a from an individual point of view, as I said, like I was second last year, so I suppose the only way to progress it is to is to win it like so that's that's kind of I suppose my, my main goal now for the next few months. So a few of us that are targeting that championships are heading away on an altitude training camp um in a couple of weeks' time to get ready for that and then yes we just come down then and hopefully just get a couple of decent races in throughout the autumn and then and and peak for that. And um like I mean it would be unbelievably special to be able to do it again because, you know, rarely enough would you get any team from any country winning two in a row let alone uh, a few lads from Ireland right? do you know what I mean so that's definitely the main goal now and I'm, I've am i had like a obviously if, like a week off since the race to kind of reflect and kind of just kind of recover or whatever but even now it's you're kind of getting the buzz back for it and kind of looking forward to even heading away training again and uh, like seeing what we can do but like it's a savage opportunity um, and it's my last ever race as an under 23 as well because once 2023 20, strikes, I'm a senior for the rest of my days. So, um, hopefully, we'll bow out of the of the age group on a high.
2: Absolutely, finally, um, you're a Crystal Palace fan. I, I don't think I know any Crystal Palace fans to be honest. But uh, what do you make of the, the start of the season so far?
4: You're not too bad. Like, um, probably should have got more against Liverpool, and I've seen everyone lose on the first day of the season against Arsenal as well. But now we're we're tipping away nicely. Like, it's like, funny. I haven't had the same this year's kind of been a bit funny. I've I'm so busy when the season started, I kinda of haven't really sat down and and uh I haven't even like, really been able to like watch any of the games properly because we were playing Liverpool the night before the race and I was thinking if we get if we get <laughs> if we get hockey three or four nil it's just gonna put me in a bad mood and I'm gonna wake up. I'm gonna wake up and the last thing I'll think about is my race. So I haven't really sat down and watched it properly, but yeah. Hopefully we'll have a good season try and get over again probably at Christmas to watch a game. So yeah, no, we should have a good season. God
2: not about at all uh, look Dara uh, pleasure talking to you again the very best of luck with everything best of luck and cheer in and uh, we'll catch up again I'm sure
4: great stuff thanks very much Ian
2: yeah and Palace nearly pulling off a shock yesterday against Man City but not to be in the end coming up after the break we hear from Maeve Ogoliri and we have part two of our NFL season preview with Colum Cronin of the Irish NFL show don't go away
1: the big red
0: bet saturday and sunday from 6 p.m grab the big red bench podcast at redfm.ie the big
2: Benish. Welcome back to The Big Red Bench. Jaded Leahy here with you until 7 o'clock on Cork's Red FM. It has finished 2-0 to Tottenham in the city ground in the final Premier League game of the weekend. Um, 2-0, of course, uh, win over Nottingham Forest. Harry Kane with both, both goals. Uh, missed a penalty, though. Dean Henderson coming up with a penalty save to uh, to end his 21 21- uh, penalty tw- 21 out of 21 streak from the penalty spot uh, moving on John McCarthy has been speaking to Munster and Ireland international Maeve Ogoliri along with Wendy Keenan uh, Maeve missed out on the Japan tour due to injury and of course the tour is now tied at one apiece after yesterday's defeat
1: Now what a thrill here on the big red bench uh, on our weekly Munster women's rugby slot to have two very very important guests with us as always we have the Munster women's chairperson uh, Wendy Keenan Wendy you're very well- Welcome back. How are you?
5: I'm great, Gerard. Thanks a million for having me back.
1: It's great to have you back. Always good to hear your expert opinion. And we're delighted to have a very special VIP guest this week. It is Irish international Maeve Og O'Leary. Maeve, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench.
0: Thank you for having me, Jared. It's
1: good to be on an old Monster podcast. can't uh, beat it. You cannot beat it, uh, certainly. And every week we, we do cover as much of the Monster women's rugby, thanks to Wendy's insight as possible. But it is fantastic to talk to uh, a full senior Irish international as well this week. Only one place to start. Um, unfortunately, you are not out uh, in Japan as part of the Irish senior women's tour. You uh, missed out because of injury, which is uh, hugely disappointing. How is that injury and how is the recuperation going?
0: Yeah, it's it's so far so good anyway. It's it's been pretty positive. I mean, I'm at the beginning of it, so it's I'm kind of in a protected stage where I'm not doing much. Um I suppose it's one of those things that you you never think it's going to happen to you. Um and it was just a couple of days before getting on the plane, so when it happened, I was obviously devastated and I just went down to County Kerry. My family were down there, so I went down and got some much needed TLC. Um but I'm into my rehab now already, so I'll be on the pitch going again before you know it. I, it's, it's a good opportunity for me as kind of a young player to look at things from the other side, not being on the pitch and be able to learn from from a different side of things.
1: Yes, and as you said, you're quite young still. You're, you've the rest of your career to come. It's is a setback, but not the end. Of, by no means the end of it. And you've certainly been already shown what you can do in an Irish green jersey. Your club, Black Rock College RFC. Uh, you're a Tipperary native and a, a flanker. So, I mean, missing out must have been very difficult to deal with. But I mean, concentrating on recovering from the injury has helped you to get over that. But obviously, you have ambitions to go back and pull that green jersey on as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of those hiccups that you, you don't ever really want to happen, um, but it, it's just an opportunity for me, I suppose. It's my first serious injury, so I didn't really know how to deal with it, but my brother's been through a couple of injuries himself, so he helped me along that. And I'm just kind of ready to get going again now and, and get back, back on that pitch as soon as I can.
1: Good stuff. Your brother, as you said, is a rugby international, but he's not an Irish rugby international. Shane is a Canadian rugby international. Please explain that one to me.
0: Yes, so it's a funny story. So my mum was actually born in Canada um, and Shane, he grew up uh, playing rugby and he got his first professional contract in Grenoble in France. And then he came back to Ireland and he played in Connacht for, I think, four seasons. Um, And after he won the Pro 12 with them. And then after those four seasons he moved over to England and I think when he when he moved out of Ireland to play rugby he kind of knew you know his chances with Ireland were probably gone so um he declared for Canada and he was abs- it was just such an amazing opportunity for him and he's gotten to go to the World Cup and play in some amazing places around the world so he's still going strong and he's he's a really good mentor and role model for me to have especially going through injury like mm. anything that I've I'm going through or I'm going to go through he has absolutely already gone through it so yeah he's he's a great guy to have around for sure
1: that's a lovely story and it's good to see as well that you've got somebody that can um help you with your recuperation like all good brothers they'll be just you know tagging and beating hitting you over the head until yeah. you be grand I suppose that's about yeah, it yeah
0: it's the other way around so he, <laughs> he hasn't done any of that now since I've been injured He's he's been great so I'm, I'm definitely very lucky
1: brilliant um We have to talk about, obviously, uh, the big news story over the past weekend, Ireland under Greg Williams and the senior team making their first senior, uh, on their first senior tour, uh, taking on to Japan and registering a very, very impressive 57-22 victory. Before we talk about the match itself, Wendy, why is it so significant, this tour? I mean, obviously it's an important, it's the first one, but why is it so significant for Irish senior women's rugby?
5: I think you just mentioned it there that um, I suppose it's the first, you know what I mean, tour um, for Ireland um, and I suppose the manner in which the tour has been organised and the experience that the girls are getting together. And there's a lot of new girls inside in that squad, I'm sure, maybe, you know what I mean, you'd allude to that, you know we have I mean, three young girls coming in. But I suppose that squad haven't had a huge amount of time together so it gives the chance for players to gel you know what I mean coming into the autumn training for the Six Nations you know they'll have their inter-pros now which has moved you know what I mean before that but um, you know what I mean it's a big step and a big commitment from the IRFU um, you know what I mean on a pathway that we want to see them going.
1: From a committee point of view Wendy, and from somebody that's seen it on both sides as a player and on the opposite side and the, the administration side of it how important and I know because Maeve Vogue is very highly involved in PR and marketing Home Parton has just a reaction across social media. I was taken aback, actually, while watching the game um, on Twitter and on Instagram. It was a huge amount of people talking about this game and about this tour and the marketing, the way the IRFU have used their social media tools has been very important. But it's important that it's treated the same as the men's, you know, in terms of marketing and in terms of exposure. And it looks like it got that certainly from the first test.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know what I mean, they've got it right here. I'm actually really enjoying the diaries. I know I mentioned this last week, but even the diaries with the three young girls, you know what I mean, the the three, the new... Debutants going out and their view on it. I think that's a really important message for young girls, that they can relate to these young girls, you know, tell them how long they're playing rugby, how long, you know, their journey to the jersey and what's been, you know what I mean, what they're enjoying about it. And I suppose, you know what I mean, and I know maybe you're a great uh, person for the TikTok, but I really enjoy those, those, you know what I mean, the girls having fun. And I suppose Jerry talk a lot about, you know what I mean, the enjoyment of the game, no matter what sport you're playing and how important it is. But from a PR um, exercise, this was vital. You know, and we're going to hear a lot more in the next couple couple of weeks in relation to contracts and, and how they're going to be structured and what the future is going to look like. And we'll have the report from Amanda Bennett coming out in, and her recommendations. So it was really important that females were given the tour opportunities like their counterparts in the male, the male game.
1: And that's very true. And from a player's point of view, may have, obviously it might've been a difficult watch. You know, like you'd you like to have been there. You should have been there, but with your PR and marketing background as well, how impressive have you? has it been for the IRFU to use the likes of Twitter, Instagram, TikTok to get to that younger audience?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. And like, it's something that it's happening now. It always should have been happening, but it's just so great that it is happening now. And I think having our fixtures and our, um competitions isolated from the men it like it's of course a help you know we have the full focus of that audience that the Irish rugby have so i think it's so important um fans and the public you know they love that storytelling they love that insight into Okay, we see these players playing on the pitch; they're really tough. But now, let like they've an insight into their personalities. I just think that is it's so great, like the different diaries on tour, are getting an insight into okay, what's what's the day of a life of a high performance athlete. So yeah, I I think it's amazing and it's really necessary. And this kind of content as well, you know, it's it's doing really well online. The reels, like that's that's what's getting out there, getting viewers, and that's what we want. We just want to spread that visibility of the women's game. So it's it's been massive.
1: Actually, it's just dawned on me. We'll have to get you to help me with the PR marketing of the first ever Women in Sport podcast TikTok account. Uh, that's something I haven't managed to yeah. get to that's yet.
0: Doing a few dances, though.
1: Uh, no, we'll leave that to Wendy, I think, to be fair. That we won't get the hits <laughs> if, I, if I. we one first.
0: <laughs>
5: yeah, we'll do the Monster one first.
1: Yeah, we'll leave me out of it. A tour will give players time to get to know each other as we've seen as, as, uh, as Wendy was pointing out like with the reels and everything that they're doing but the fact that you're living out of a suitcase and alongside each other you've no choice but to get to know people that's the real importance of a tour I've always felt that with the men's and certainly with the British and Irish lines you often feel that the camaraderie off the pitch is certainly something that you, it's, it's organic it has to be grown you can't manufacture it like, like this this is a really big thing for those young Irish players as well to get to know the in your brains to get to know those really you know um, established Irish internationals and to 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 gel basically and I think if we get that out of this tour irrespective of what the result is in the second test I mean that's going to be huge for Greg Williams going forward.
0: Yeah absolutely and I suppose when you're on tour you you don't really have an option like you're sharing a room with a girl and if you're there for two weeks you might change in the middle of the tour and start sharing with someone else so it's really good and it can be uncomfortable at the start obviously you're sharing your bedroom and someone but you, it kind of leaves you with this opportunity to get to know the people who you're playing with on a new level, like you're essentially living with them. And it's just so important. I think throughout the Six Nations that happened too, we were obviously quite a new team, um, but we gelled throughout that experience and it came together in that last game. And I think it's even stronger now. So it, yeah, it's, it's really good. We're just one big family and that, that's what we wanted. It's so good because I think the new girls are really feeling that bond as well. And it's it's a lovely environment to be in.
1: And as everyone in rugby circles knows, you can't have a big family without Munster involvement. And it was fantastic. Wendy from Munster, I would imagine, from your point of view as well, um, seeing Enya Breen, Aoife Doyle, Dorothy Ward, Chloe Pearson, Nicole Cronin, as part of this uh, this initial first test as well. And um, and I, I suppose proof positive that the pathway Works in this province, and that the likes of any Briney, we know an awful lot about, but the newer players coming into made their mark, and um, it's great to see that that amount of Munster players as part of the of the Irish international team on tour.
5: It is important for us, to see, you know I mean. We're going to be um, those girls will go back into camp, um, you know, that have um, smaller matches, and then we. We'll, after Christmas, we'll have our our interpros, and Mave will be back with us for interprose, You know what I mean? So we want to put in strong performances. You know what I mean for those as well, because those girls will be playing for their Six Nations places. You know, on the back of the Six Nations, that's why it's moving. As I say on the back, of the Interpros and that's why it's moving, um, from its, its, its current calendar. But, um, I think the enjoyment factor is really important. And you mentioned about the players getting to know each other. And I think it's as important for the management, new management, getting mm. to know all those players, that's which a good isn't point. easy yeah. when you're coming in and you're putting in new, as May mentioned, new systems, you know what I mean, into place you know it doesn't leave a huge amount of time I'm sure Maeve in camp for you know Greg to get to know the girls on a level that you get to know them on the tour to really get to know their personalities and that's really important I think do you know what I mean and it's it's a part of this jigsaw
1: Absolutely How important is the downtime Maeve that players don't talk about the time when they spend together in the bars and whatever you know and the the time that they're allowed out
0: Yeah it, it, I mean it's brilliant it's not always spent in bars now especially when we're on oh, tour Oh sorry I take that back it, it's great museums and
1: libraries is that where you go yeah
0: oh yeah only live um, no it's it's huge and you I suppose on the field pe- some people are different on the pe- field yes. they'll be quite serious and you just get to see that other side it's lovely and some girls who are newer maybe you, like I know coming in you know like on the pitch you're always going to kind of stand back a little bit and watch but it just gives you that opportunity to kind of you know show your personality and also learn about other people's personalities and I mean it's like a social experiment putting like 28 or 38 girls into into this or women into this environment but yeah this downtime it's really important and it's it's so great learning about all the different players and you know you that's you build bonds and friendships for life so it's it's massive
1: it certainly is and from your own point of view Maeve, just to finish up um what are the next steps now from your recuperation and what goals have you got set for yourself over the next couple of months
0: yeah so i hopefully we'll be on back on the pitch within the next eight weeks um i mean like the goal would be to to get to that AIL final with my club and bring it home and of course get the the win again in the Interpros at Munster I mean I think we had a real building near last year and we still won and I just cannot wait for this season just to see how we go again I mean there's just such a great bunch of players and I think since the last Interpros there's also like Balancolag Ballancolic have formed and have had a great year yeah. and there's just been so much experience been to, built to all those young players so yeah monster getting that second Interpro trophy will be class and then Six Nations will be one of my focuses as well and hopefully getting in and getting lots more minutes. So they're, they're my own personal goals for, for the meantime.
2: Uh, we're going to get to part two of our NFL uh, season preview. Colm Cronin, of course, of the Irish NFL show uh, with us. He was filling us in last night on the contender, contenders in the NFC. We turn our attention to the AFC now in part two. And this chat will be available in full on the Big Red Benches podcast feed tomorrow. Uh, once again, I'm joined by Colum Cronin of the Irish NFL Show as another new NFL season is upon us. Colm, moving on to the FC then, um, who might spring a surprise then?
3: For me, it's the Colts. I think that the Colts are a really strong roster. I, I, in fairness to Chris Ballard, um, who again, another guy we were fortunate to speak to super smart, um, hasn't had the easiest time, uh, with the Colts given Andrew Luck, um, had to, uh, retire or decided to, to retire, um, depending on your viewpoint, um, definitely the Luck podcast is worth listening to as well as an aside, but, I think they've massively upgraded on quarterback by bringing in Matt Ryan oh, um, you know Carson Wentz just absolutely melted down last year and I think that's ultimately what, what cost them I really like the rest of the roster they have Jonathan Taylor running back they have a really strong O-line they' um, brought in some guys um, to give them more up front in terms of a pass rush and the secondary should be reasonably strong had a major injury um, yesterday at the time of recording in terms of their punter which is somewhat is Special teams I think would be the concern around the, the Colts but I think with with Matt Ryan I still think he's got a year or two left and uh, I think that they uh, will retake the AFC South. It's a division they haven't won since 2014. I think they'll um, win that and I think once you get into the playoffs you know you, you're always in with a shot. Who do you think is going to struggle to perform then in the AFC this year? the this might might be surprising I could well end up with egg in my face but I think the New England Patriots who were the juggernaut for, for so long but this has a feeling a little bit of Manchester United um, you know post Fergie um, obviously Bill Belichick is there but without Brady um, without Josh McDaniels now um, they they just it, it, you look at the roster and, and you just don't see it And yeah Bill Belichick has always been able to you know make average players look better um, But on both sides of the ball, it's very difficult to see um, where they score enough points and where they get the takeaways that. They, they need and um, I just think that the Bills are so strong I think the Dolphins should be better I think that will make life really difficult I, I actually think Mac Jones is, is a good QB um, and, and the the system I but I just think that the Patriots overpaid in the offseason last year and I think some of that is coming home to, to roost with Bill Belichick you know you you they, they'll it'll be competitive but you saw last year that a couple of the, the losses particularly against the, the Bills were stuff we had never seen before the Bills didn't have to punt in that game um, every single drive ended in a score and that's stuff that never happened under Bill Belich- Belichick before which tells you we're in a little bit of a, a new era and that to me is one of the reasons the Patriots um, will struggle the other is um, the New York Jets and that will probably ease the pain for the Patriots a little bit because Belichick does not like the Jets um, but to, to me um, you know Zach Wilson is, is a, a QB who divides opinions certainly um, il- the preseason last year he looked incredible and then in the regular season he just didn't look good and it's kind of a shame because I, I like a lot of what the Jets did in the season. I thought they were, they drafted really well I thought they brought guys in but to lose Becton and to lose Zach Wilson for Four six weeks, and you know how how is he going to come back? Will will the knee be be solid? I I'm somebody as a Broncos fan. I've seen Joe Flacco up close. He he's just not the answer. And and we're even further on from from Joe Flacco now. Uh, and given that they're you know again in a division with the Bills, with the Dolphins, and with a stacked AFC, I just think it's going to be very very difficult for the Jets.
2: Um, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned uh, the Cincinnati Bengals of course uh, runners up in the Super Bowl uh, in in 2022 Um, how do you think they will get on this year I suppose is it it's the first time in such a long long time that they've probably gone into the season with expectation
3: and having to back up a performance from the season before Exactly. And it's very difficult to, to repeat. I mean, they were the surprise package last year. I think they took people by, by surprise. I like a lot of what the Bengals have done. Um, but they are in, I suppose, um, uh, in the AFC in a conference that is so stacked in terms of quarterbacks. Um, you know, Jesse Bates signed his, um, franchise tag, which is really important because he is a brilliant safety. Um, I do like, um, you know, some, some of the moves they have made on their, their defense they have totally altered up the O-line and that was one of the issues last year, certainly was the sheer number of sacks. Now, Joe Burrow's play and he's talked about it himself, he's always going to probably take more sacks than, um, you know, the average quarterback, he thinks that it's worthwhile terms of hanging on to the ball, trying to see if a play will develop in the right situation. But he got hit more than 50 times. Um, you know, he got sacked more than 50 times. You just can't take that sort of punishment. And they needed to protect their QB. So they have made uh, moves there. They're, they too are in a very competitive division. I think the, the Bengals w- will, will get to the playoffs. I just, it's difficult for me to see them um, being able to surprise maybe the the chiefs or the bills um, in the postseason in the way in which they they did, but they will be they will be there given the trio that they have um, in terms of receiving talent um, they will certainly be there or thereabouts. Who have you picked out as the most exciting rookie to keep an eye on this year? It's funny. We were just talking about the Bengals and last year, Jamar Chase, um, all throughout the offseason, the preseason, we heard about the drops, the drops. Oh, Jamar Chase and a different size ball. It's going to be totally different. And then he was absolutely incredible last year. Um, and Micah Parsons is a player who, you know, when he was drafted by the, the Cowboys, you know, a lot of maybe concerns around him and then, oh, the Cowboys are going to use him in different ways. And those two guys were absolutely the standout rookies last year. So, um, there could well be a surprise but to me I suppose the the players who stand out the, the most George Pickens is my guy that I'm going to be really interested in seeing how he does he could be an absolute superstar from day one, or he could end up um, being out of the league. Kind of by like week six, you don't know. He he is um, he's very much an enigma, but he has incredible talent. Um, I, some people may have seen the, the video of him just pushing over a Seahawks uh, defender in one of the the preseason games. He's not going to be bullied. He's not going to be intimidated. You're not going to be able to um, kind of you know you you maybe brutalize him out of a game because he's just so big and strong. And I think when I look at the Steelers and I look at their other receivers, he's a guy who could well become wide receiver one um, by by the midpoint of the, the season, so I think he he'd be really good. Sky Moore with the the Chiefs again. We talked about Andy Reid, talked about his offensive um, acumen, so Sky Moore should be good. And then I suppose on the defensive side of things, um, Aiden Hutchinson um, with the the Lions, a guy who you know many people felt could and should have gone number one overall. And um, we've seen the the Lions on hard knocks. Um, we've we've seen him. um, his uh, party piece really interested to see what he can do on the field and then um, you know I've obviously been a bit harsh on the Jets earlier Sauce Gardner should be outstanding as uh, a rookie cornerback Derek Stingley um, with the Texans um, should be a bright spot I I don't see too many bright spots for the Texans but I think Derek Stingley Jr. could absolutely be one Um, he certainly has the potential can he live up to it and from an Irish perspective James McCourt he signed yesterday yesterday with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He is currently the only kicker on the the roster. He is a guy um, he's very, very smart and um, I think he might be the the first Irish man to play in the NFL in 37 years. That's definitely one to keep an eye on from an Irish perspective. He spent the the off-season with the the Chargers. The Chargers signed him as an undrafted free agent after the the draft. Um, The expectation really was that he, he was never likely to, to win that competition, but he was going to get enough on tape to show what he could do. And I think that's the important thing that people need to, to realise maybe is... um Sometimes say Will Lutz, who is a phenomenal kicker for the Saints. He was, he was, um, with the Ravens. He was never going to beat out Justin Tucker, but he got enough on tape that the Saints took a chance at him. And now he is their kicker full time. He's, he's absolutely outstanding. Um, and there, there are numerous kind of other examples. Um, Graham Cano with the, the Giants spent time elsewhere. There's lots of different examples, I suppose, of guys who have gone to camp and then ended up elsewhere and had a great career.
2: Yeah, I think though the the last let's say the last Irish I think the last Irish player in the NFL was Neil O'Donohue.
3: Was he a kicker with the Bucks? I think. Yes, yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, that, that, that's right. You're you're going back um, to to the 80s, um, and he had a 10 year career and. Um, finished up. Um, so it, it would be great. I mean, we've got some kickers coming through, got some punters coming through, we've seen guys come through in the, in the college game. Um, the NFL are themselves are kind of committed to the international player pathway. Um, so it's going to be really, really interesting to, to see what might develop. Um, but to see the tricolor on the back of a helmet in the NFL would certainly be a, a, a nice uh, highlight uh, of the 2022 season.
2: Absolutely. Even just even even if you get out there once or twice in the whole season, you'd be you be happy to see that. Um, is there any is there any blockbuster trades that people who you know might only actually tune in come the first game week? Is there any blockbuster trades that we might have missed out on over the the off season? Or in your opinion, what are the most
3: interesting and, and the biggest trades uh,
2: heading into the new year?
3: the biggest one is is Russell Wilson without a shadow of a doubt um to to have a super bowl winning um quarterback traded is it's very rare um, I mean uh, traditionally it, they, it only happens if, if a QB hits free free agency and there can be a number of reasons Peyton Manning it was coming off injury and they drafted Andrew Luck um, Tom Brady they've, they felt the Patriots wrongly obviously that he was getting older and I suppose his relationship with Bill Belichick but to actually be traded is an interesting one and we talked about the Seahawks haven't replaced him as yet um, I, I, it will be very interesting to see how R- Russell would Wilson does he's come across into the Broncos. They have their own rookie head coach. Um you know how will his system marry with Russell what Russell Wilson wants to do. He certainly will have uh weapons there. They certainly have a good um duo of running backs. Um but that is the the piece that will be really interesting now he comes in to a division that's absolutely stacked at quarterback. Um so it, I, that's something to, to keep an eye on. Um but Russell Wilson Going and he, I suppose everybody kind of knows Russell Wilson what he's capable of. So for him to move teams is really the the biggest trade. We talked about AJ Brown. That would well, those would be my my big two. Um, but Russell Wilson um playing against Seattle on the first uh, weekend of the new season. That's one to keep an eye on.
2: Yeah, you, you couldn't have written that script really. Like, I wonder what the
3: what the handshake will be like between himself and uh, Pete Carroll. Yeah, they certainly the, the comments uh, from Seattle since he's left haven't um, haven't been um, you know very complimentary towards uh, Russell Wilson. So yeah, I'm very interested to see the reaction he'll get both from the GM, the head coach, and the the fans there in uh, in Seattle. Let's quickly
2: just go through maybe an M- MVP candidate that you you think could really stand out this year, one that might be taking home uh, some big accolades.
3: Yeah, look, the, the, the top two would be Herbert and Josh Allen. Um, You know, both, both of those who talked about the, the bills and the charges, but maybe a surprise name, uh, it might be Kirk Cousins. Um, He's very polarising. He's a guy who gets paid an awful lot of money. Um, But he, uh, we've learned, I suppose, over this off-season that him and Zimmer absolutely hated each other as previous head coach. And when a quarterback and a head coach um, not only don't get on, but actively um, despise each other, that is never a recipe for for success. He now has in Kevin O'Connell a new head coach very smart from the Sean McVay coaching tree a guy who worked with him um, previously uh, at Washington um, and so to me uh, Cousins is is a guy who he has Justin Jefferson Adam Thielen is supposed to be playing really really well and the other thing to keep an eye on is if the Vikings are there or thereabouts their final six opponents are the Jets Lions Coles um Packers and Bears outside of the Packers. That's a pretty nice schedule to to finish off the the season. So keep an eye on on Kirk Cousins um, if he if he is ever to to I suppose live up to that guaranteed money that should be this year.
2: Finally, then if we were to pick one name,
3: if you were to if you were to put a tenner down, uh, who's going to take home the Super Bowl? For for me, I, I'll say that the um, I suppose the conference championships I think will be the Bills against the Chargers and the the Rams against the Packers um, right now. And I, having seen the Bills in in preseason, I think that they probably have more in depth than the the Chargers. So I would say the Bills are justifiably favourites for the the Super Bowl. But we know so much can happen. I mean, this time last year, nobody would have predicted. Um, that the Bengals would get to the the Super Bowl the year that the Eagles won it and when they beat the the Patriots with the Philly special nobody thought the Eagles were going to win a Super Bowl that that, uh, that year your own Giants Surprise people, um, you know, a couple of times. So there will be a surprise, uh, absolutely undoubtedly. That surprise may fall in the, the conference championship game, but the Bills have been building this for the last few years. They have the superstar QB, they have the wide receiver, Steve Diggs, and Gabe Davis looks absolutely fantastic. Um, they, ha- we're going to have to leave that chat there, but as I said, we will put that
2: together. Um, the two parts of that chat with Cullen will go out tomorrow. Tomorrow in full so check out redfm.ie for that and all other podcast platforms you can also catch uh, the podcast of this show uh, in a few minutes after I get off of here I'll throw it up as quick as I can and Jar will be back Thursday with the Women in Sport podcast thank you for listening this evening Green on Red is on the way next
1: Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie Cork's Red FM